That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, hey, Aaron, how's it going? October time. Yep. It and is. Living is easy. Not really. Uh, we are, um, we are, uh, uh, running by the seat of our pants today, and um, anyway, it is we are in the midst of, as many of our colleagues will know, stewardship, uh, trying to figure out and continue to figure out um, meeting uh, in sort of kind of the backside of this pandemic, and uh, lots on our plate, but uh, Aaron and I once again are ready to deliver to you the goods. Welcome to the same old song. Aaron, how are you doing? Woo! Well, yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it. We've all we're all trying to figure out our budgets for next year and doing all the stuff. And uh, plate plates are full and cups runneth over. So uh, you know but, what I could go for right now? Cheesesteak. Another one of those tasty PPP loans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Sam. <laughs> but I'm an ardent. Uh, I'm an ardent uh, supporter of the separation of church and state, but I loved that PPP loan. So Don't um, mind if I do. <laughs> the Lord hath provided. Uh-huh. Through the magistrate. So anyway, <laughs> so we uh, are here. Um, well, we've all got, right, so yeah, we're looking at October about. 24th. Yeah, and we got, we're still, we're finishing up the book of Job and mm-hmm. uh as, and we're continuing in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 and continuing the gospel of Mark for mm-hmm. October 24. Uh, Good. So, yeah. And we come to the end we, of the book of Job, and uh, uh, the Lord has restored all of Job's fortunes. And so, <laughs> hey, you know who my favorite theologian is, don't you? Uh, Karl Barth. No, Jake. No. <laughs> So anyway, um, so we're here and... Uh, I like Jurgen Moltmann oh. myself. <laughs> Jurgen Moltmann. He's really good. And then uh, who can forget everybody's favorite English evangelical, John Stout. <laughs> oh, okay. Lord have mercy. Anyway, so um, uh, we're at the end of the book of Job. And uh, the Lord has restored, uh, is restoring Job's fortunes, but it begins with kind of almost what seems like a bit of a a prologue to the reading. Um, And uh, Job basically responds to God, and he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I mean, this is a real profound um, confession because the whole point of the book right from the beginning is kind of a little bit about peering into the hiddenness of things. I have a colleague who just uh, was at a... um, a really big, huge funeral um, the other day where there was no Christian content in it at all. And um, 
And he was remarking how eulogy after eulogy, people were making all of these assumptions and peering and speculating about God, you know, that so-and-so is here, or so-and-so is up there being loved, and so-and-so's looking down, and, you know, maybe uh, God just needed a new accountant in heaven, and all of these things. And it's amazing how, uh, you know, we're always trying to look and figure out why God does things. And we're trying to peer into it. And finally, at the end of the book of Job here, there's this confession, essentially, um, you know, that's building up to chapter 42 of, you are much bigger than I ever expected, and I am much smaller than I ever expected. There is like the, the order of creator and creature is put back into order here in this opening confession. And this is why uh, Job um, repents and uh, covers himself in dust and ash. Yeah, if you've ever known anybody, listener, who is like stuck in the question of why, like why has this bad thing happened to me uh, or to someone I love, that is a an honest emotional response to a situation. But if, mm-hmm. if you get stuck in that, um, it will lead to bitterness, resentment. Very much and, so. Uh, and you will just kind of be a raw, open wound forever that never heals. And the response of Job is not to like enter denial or numb the pain or whatever, he, he gets down deep and dirty into the pain and absolutely acknowledges it and gets very real with God. Um, but at this point, what happens is he, and the book of Job does not tell you why, and God does not tell you why. Um, the whole point is just that God is way bigger, as you said, and we are way smaller. Even those words sound silly, like God does not have a size. It's such a, just a ridiculous uh, thing to say. And so, the book doesn't try to answer the question. It reestablishes God as God. People are people. Um, And when Job says, I despise myself and repent in dust as ashes, and in in dust and ashes, this is just a human recognition of his his reality, his finiteness, uh, and all of that. And so, and it is in that that everything is restored to him. And it's important you don't read this like a fairy tale or like an Aesop's fable. Yes. Like, if That's if I point. do this like Job, then everything will go great for me and I too will win the lottery. Um, this is written as a parable, as we've said. Um, the ways that God restores Job's, Job's fortunes are all sort of so large and ridiculous. They're meant to be symbolic as opposed to real things. And this is not a formula for how to get what you want from God. Um, this is just a, saying something about the character of God that when we get honest and real, that's where healing begins to come in. That's what this is saying mm-hmm. in a very ancient way when people had camels, oxen, donkeys, and sheep. Um, so just uh, hear that. And if you want to address to your people who are suffering and really wrestling with the problem of evil, uh, I think there's a refreshing candor and honesty that there are no good answers. God is God. And somehow there's a place where we are invited into some kind of recognition of humility. Um, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Or when St. Peter tells Jesus, um, depart from me for I'm a sinner. Or the man in the back of the temple when the Pharisees like saying, aren't I great? The, the tax collector in the back is like, I don't even deserve to look up into heaven. Um, it's in humility, and uh, which is to say honesty that that's where one finds God, and that's where one finds healing, and that's where one finds life. That's really good. And, you know, if you want to kind of look at this, I mean, in one way, too, is is that 
Um, yeah, this isn't the prosperity gospel about like, you know, God making you rich here. Um, however, there is um, an amazing promise that is found on a hill outside of Jerusalem, uh, where our Lord, who was fully human, uh, cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did not receive an answer there either. And uh, sometimes in the midst of suffering, we do not receive an answer. However, the good news of the gospel is, is that um, though he died, yet he lives. He rose from the dead, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, where he intercedes for you. And indeed, you will come through suffering, you will come through death, and all the things that the locusts have eaten will be restored, and all things will be made right. And you too are coming to a land where you will be blessed as well. If you want to, you could also do an excursus here on the meaning of Job's daughter's names, uh, which are just so <laughs> crucial to the text. The uh, first daughter, Jemima, that means dove. The second is a kind of perfume. And the third is a type of eyeshadow. So there were no like gender stereotypes going on here at all. And I encourage any of our hipster listeners who want to name their children like obscure Old Testament names, if you have a daughter, Karen Hapuch uh, is a great one. So... Yes. Just go for it. Could the could the Habuch be her middle name? <laughs> like so be Yeah, you never Karen, Habuch. which is all time popular right now. And then middle name Habuch. Kaziah. <laughs> get over here. Uh, Quit eating the cookies, Kaziah. Okay. So anyway, um then we come to Hebrews chapter seven. You shut your mouth, Karen Habuch. <laughs> Karen Habuch Smith, you get down here right now. So <laughs> Anyway, okay, let's get to Hebrews. Yes, okay, so we're continuing the section about Aaron. the priesthood. I am. I apologize, Jake. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we're in the priesthood of Jesus. Again, the whole point of Hebrews is like, who is Jesus? That's the big question. Uh, it was hotly debated in the early years of the church and even still today. Um, and they're establishing his priesthood. And uh, this is emphasizing the fact that in the uh, Jewish system, and in actually every, I mean, all the religions back in those days had lots of priests because God was this being or gods were beings that needed to be appeased and needed to be bribed. Um, and uh, and in the Hebrew faith, God's, the God needed to be um, uh, sort of have his wrath satisfied or have atonement made or worship offered through sacrifice. And the only problem, so you had lots of priests offering all these sacrifices over and over. And um, the problem was the priests themselves were sinners. The people were sinners. The offerings were never going to totally take away the problem, which is why, mm. as verse 27 says, sacrifices, unlike the other high priests, Jesus has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and those of the people. This he, Jesus, did once for all. He offered one sacrifice of himself. So, you know, one system, mm. it was never good enough, always had to keep doing it over and over, and it never removed the stain. <clears throat> Jesus yeah. is the perfect high priest, does it once, it's done for ever. I love I love this line, um, you know, because you're absolutely right. They're discussing, like, how is Jesus this new high priest? And if you remember earlier, he's made the point, well, he's of the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek being a priest of the Most High God uh, uh, from the book of Genesis uh, before the Levitical tribe is even established. And uh, But I love what he says here. The former priests were many in numbers. There were a lot of them. Uh, 
because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. <laughs> they were like sinners, too. They died, too. And so, yeah. yeah, they died, too. Uh, however, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. This is the thing, you know, in his sacrifice, uh, he has uh, risen from the dead because he is the sinless and blameless one. And so, this is, he's able to, we're, he's able to, uh, um, he's at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. So, it's not like he's in heaven just kind of playing a harp and hanging out too, like, hey, who wants to play pickleball? No, he's up there and he's uh, making intercession for us as well. Uh, that's very powerful. And the idea to approach the throne of God through him is, this would have been absolutely unfathomable mm. to uh, the first years. And it should, uh, you know, if you properly understand this, it should bring you in awe. There's a great story, uh, a cool illustration about this during the Civil War. And uh, this uh, young man, he went to Washington, and uh, he was the last of his father's eight sons uh, the other seven had been killed in the Civil War, and so and he had just been drafted. And he was like, who's going to run the family farm? You know, who's going to help? And so he went to see if he couldn't get like a, um, a pardon. And so he was there, and he did everything he could, and he couldn't get to see the president directly. And he was sitting on a bench outside of a, the White House just kind of weeping because he realized he was going to have to go to war and probably die himself, and that would be the end of the, of the family. There was a little boy there, and he was like, why are you crying? And he's like, well, and he explained the story, the situation to this little boy, and the little boy was like, hey, follow me. And the little boy just walked right through the White House. Everybody stood still and saluted him as he walked through. And then uh, he walked right into the Oval Office, and he was like, uh, Dad, this man needs to see you. And uh, now, whether that's real or not, who knows, but it is a powerful in illustration mm of what Jesus actually does. He is the one who brings us and enables us to approach God through him. And uh, God hears us. And why is it? Because um, he's the real high priest who's holy, blameless, undefiled, you know, uh, separated from sinners and exalted above all the heavens, unlike the other high priests who have to offer sacrifices daily. Uh, so this is uh, who Jesus is. He is the one who brings us He's the perfect priest who brings us right to the Father. Like young Tad Lincoln. Yeah, Tad, that's his name. Good, so. good days when the White House had no security, apparently. That's right. <laughs> Not with Tad. Yeah. Tad had a pass. Uh, so. All right. And uh, so, and I think, you know, pastorally, this passage really preaches just because the idea of Jesus making intercession for you always and one of the things that Hebrews always wants to emphasize is the permanence, the completeness, the fact that Jesus actually does what he says he is going to do, that you are actually forgiven, you are actually saved, and, and all of this. Um, and this is why it's so hard for human beings to get this. We always think there's something we have to add. We always think we're not quite good enough. And um, that's why in the uh, Book of Common Prayer, the service for Holy Communion, in what's now called Rite One, but is the kind of traditional distillation of the theology here, says a lot of this directly drawing from Hebrews. This is what what the what the priest, the presbyter, the minister says when celebrating Holy Communion, um, that God gave His only Son Jesus Christ to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. Who made there Jesus made there on the cross by His one oblation of Himself once offered a full, perfect, sufficient 
sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. So he could have just, you know, Cranmer, when he wrote this, he could have just said he offered a full sacrifice. But he doesn't. He says full, perfect, sufficient. He could have just said sacrifice, but he says sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction. Again, he just wants to uh, really um, bring it home, just that Jesus really did what he said he was going to do. You really are saved. You, your sins are really dealt with, uh, and eternal life really is yours. Mm, that's good news. Yeah. Heck yes. Almost said a bad word and then there. We come, to our gospel, we come to our gospel reading today, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and uh, dealing with um, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Good old Timaeus, that guy. Um, so, you have here... Uh, or it could have been Bartimaeus, oh, son been. of Timaeus, going back to our earlier name changes. That's which right, that's up right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, they come to Jericho, they blow the trumpets, they march around. No, wait, that's the <laughs> yeah. wrong... Same city, different story, and thousands yeah. of years later. So... You know, can I just say that that's one of the things that, you know, when you're reading the scriptures, remember it is rooted in reality. Mm. Uh, This isn't, uh, you know, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, This is in real places. And so just I love reminding people of that. You can go to Jericho. There's a good Mm -hmm. uh, Catholic school run there. By the nuns, and, and there used to be killer casinos. So, but they've all closed. Yeah, so. still monastery up on a hill and a large sycamore tree in the center of town. Boring. Go to the casino. Okay. So anyway, but <laughs> so I thought you were talking about me. Uh, so they come to Jericho, and uh, there's this blind beggar sitting by the roadside, and he's heard about Jesus, and he begins to yell, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me!" And uh, often. Uh, like when people came to Jesus who weren't supposed to approach Jesus, you know, you got to contrast this, by the way, with the Hebrew passage where it says we can approach mm-hmm. the throne of grace of God boldly um, because Jesus is there interceding for us. And uh, so we approach, but here this guy is approaching God, approaching Jesus, and people say, no, uh, be quiet. He's busy. You don't, he doesn't have time for you. You're dirty. You're gross. Uh, But his response is to just yell louder, son of David, have mercy on me, which is amazing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a very, I mean, and the Lord, uh, son of God, um, what he says, um, he says, uh, um, Jesus, son of David, which is one of the titles of the Messiah. So he's yelling that at the top of his lungs. He's hailing him to be the king of Israel with that statement. Have mercy on me. That is a gen. That is uh, the cry of a general prayer. That's the prayer every human needs, uh, not needs, but should cry out to the Lord. Have mercy on me. You know, because we all have things that are just burdening us, and you know they try and pipe him down, but he knows who he's in the presence of. He's in the presence of the Son of David. So it gets louder, and uh, Jesus finally calls him here. Says, "Come here," and uh, they bring him up. And this is where the prayer gets very specific. Jesus is like, hey, what do you need? So Jesus takes it from the general to the very specific. Yeah, and that's key here then where Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Because it would be obvious maybe if if I were in that situation, well, he wants his sight. But sometimes mm-hmm. the thing, and, and that is actually what he wants, he says, I want to see again, um, which makes, again, helps us learn that 
he was not always blind. This is someone who's had, he says, let me see again, meaning he used to be able to, something has happened to him and now he can't see. Um, but Jesus doesn't assume uh, that this is the issue. So he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And I think there's, um, there's something beautiful in that exchange. Uh, it, talk, it says something about the ability to, to be very specific in our prayers with Jesus, um, to ask for things. I know so many people, I can't tell you how many times I've been leading a Bible study or something and we go around and give prayer requests and nobody actually asked, wants to ask for anything for themselves. They'll talk about um, legitimate prayer requests things that are happening in faraway countries, sickness of uh, relatives or neighbors. Um, but very rarely does someone say, I want God to restore. My prayer request is that God would restore my marriage. Or my prayer request mm. is for my ongoing issues with anxiety or whatever the case may be. And so, I mean, I think it is an eminently preachable thing to say to your folks, if Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? And that's actually the place where Jesus does want to meet you. And by the way, when Jesus says to him, go, your faith has made you well, and he regains his sight, um, it's, it's worth noting here that faith is not some sort of name it and claim it um, sort of thing uh, that if you don't have enough faith, God doesn't answer your prayer, and if you do have enough faith, God does answer your prayer. The thing that makes him well is his is the object of his faith, his faith in Jesus Christ, the son of David, as evidenced by his loud crying. So it's just his, his desperation. It's not his, you know, sometimes people think about the lion in uh, Wizard of Oz. I do believe in spooks. I do believe. I do. I do. I do believe. And that if we do that to Jesus, he'll like like some sort of uh, magic trick give us what we want. That's not what this is saying. This is this is a, the point here I'm trying to make is that <clears throat> when we get desperate and honest with God, and in a similar way, Job gets desperate and honest with God. Like that's when that's when <coughs> things began to to turn, um, and this is what happens with uh, with this uh, Bartimaeus. So, anything else you want to add to that, Jacobus? Well, I take a drink of water. No, I think you've, I think you've said, uh, I think you've said it all. Well, let's go back out there and lead our churches, raise some money, pray for people, uh, and just um, rest in our offices while people bring us trays of hors d'oeuvres. Awesome. <laughs> all right, Jake. Thanks. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.